0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I'll never forget the morning you left
1: me. How big mistake. If you stay away, you'll be my fault
2: standing in the center of a music museum in southern Indiana. I'd like to start this episode with a little bit of music trivia. I'll give you just a moment to think about each of these. Who wrote the B-side for Elvis Presley's first ever single? Who did Willie Nelson refer to as his personal hero? Who did Dolly Parton give one of her dresses to as a token of her admiration. Who wrote the first ever rockabilly song? And last, who is the undisputed father and creator of the bluegrass genre of music? What if I told you the answer to all of these questions was the same, and it was someone you probably have never heard of before? Today I'm at Bill Monroe's Bluegrass Hall of Fame Museum, just outside of Nashville, Indiana? And as you probably just guessed, the answer to all of those questions is Bill Monroe. After Bill Monroe passed away in 1996, his personal collection of artifacts, along with his personal theater and camping venue, have been preserved by the local community. Eventually, all this priceless history landed in the hands of Rex Voiles, who owns this museum and with whom I have the pleasure of speaking with today. Tell me again what your name is and what you would say your title is here.
3: Rex Voiles. I'm the president of Bean Blossom Bluegrass and Brown County Jamboree.
2: And the location of this museum, is this actually in Nashville or is this a town outside of Nashville? To be clear, We are talking about Nashville, Indiana, not Nashville, Tennessee.
3: Outside of Nashville, this is Bean Blossom in Brown County, Indiana.
2: First of all, when I first walk into into this building, it's an impressive building from the road. But when you walk in, you're just amazed. I was not expecting what you see when you walk in. I mean, you see all of these suits hanging up, all of these names of people that you recognize all of these pictures of people, a lot of signatures. Can you kind of explain for people who will be listening, what is it that you have here?
3: This is really Bill Monroe, which is the father of bluegrass. This is this kind of collection. He used to have this set up down in Nashville, Tennessee, next to Ernest Tubbs Record Shop. He used to have a little museum. And he moved everything up here when he built this building in 1990. But that's why you got Dolly Parton's dress. You got Webb Pierce's. Johnny Cashes, just different entertainers that grew up listening to Bill Monroe on the Grand Ole Opry.
2: Why don't you explain to me who Bill is?
3: Bill Monroe was born nineteen eleven, and he is considered the father of bluegrass he started a new music a new style of music that wasn't country that was fit right in and they called it bluegrass he called it the bluegrass boys and then they gave it the name of the bluegrass
2: at what point in time could you pinpoint when this music called bluegrass actually started happening
3: Bill started back in 39, 36, 36, 37, 38, 39. I mean, he had uh, Earl Scruggs and Lester Flats. They played in his band. Bill's had over 100 members in his bluegrass band. So it started back in the 30s, but it really didn't catch on that name until probably in the 60s.
2: For years, I didn't know the difference between bluegrass and other country music. Bluegrass is a subgenre of country music that does not traditionally include electric instruments or percussion. You might think of it as a kind of southern porch music where a group of musicians can play whole songs without sitting down or setting up a drum kit. Because there are no drums, things like guitars, banjos, and mandolin have to drive the tempo of the music. As you might imagine, improvisation is key. Because of this, bluegrass musicians tend to be some of the best and most versatile in the world. Here's an example of the typical bluegrass sound. Because we have a classically trained composer in-house, our audio engineer Brent, I thought it might be good to have him quickly explain in simple terms some of the quirks of this uniquely American musical
4: style. Bluegrass music is a combination of a few different types of music. Most people believe that it is a subcategory of the old country music. When in reality, it goes much deeper than that. So you have elements of blues, jazz, American Southern string band music, sacred Irish and Scottish traditions. All of those make up a big part of what bluegrass actually is. A bluegrass band is traditionally comprised of four to five instrumentalists. So you have a five string banjo, a flat top guitar, you have a fiddle or violin, An upright acoustic bass. And last but not least, Bill Monroe's favorite, the mandolin. What really separates bluegrass from other music is its fast, syncopated rhythms. So the drive of the music is actually created by what's called the offbeat. So an example of this, so the downbeat is, if you have a typical 4-4 measure, it'd be one
1: Two, three, four. One, two, three,
4: four. The syncopated, or the offbeat, is on the and, the in-between of the downbeats of the one, two, three, and four. So it sounds something like this. One and two and three and four and. So when you remove the downbeats, it would end up being like this. So you'd have one and two and three and four and, 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 and. That's what bluegrass is really made up of—is all of those syncopated off rhythms. The other thing that you have is obviously your vocals, and what primarily distinguishes the vocals from that of, let's say, country or other artists is that it is comprised of mainly a lead tenor, which has a higher tone of voice. I Additional vocals that would perform really tight harmonies with the lead tenor that has a strong influence in blues and jazz.
2: You're listening to Hometown History from Black Label Podcasting. Let's take a quick break to talk about this episode's sponsor, Babbel. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. I took Spanish, and now I can't remember a word of it, no matter how hard I try. Now, things to babble, the language learning app, That sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Babbel has 14 different languages to choose from, like German, Italian, Spanish, and French. Plus, with Babbel's speech recognition technology, it helps me improve my pronunciation and accent. I can't wait to use some of the French I've learned on an upcoming trip. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com hometown. That's babbel.com hometown. For up to 55% off your subscription. Babel, language for life.
0: Now that I have your attention, do you love bluegrass music? Well, I have the bluegrass event for you. Bluegrass at Hopewell happens the last Saturday in July in Wabash County every year. Enjoy the countryside of northern Indiana while bluegrass bands play on both levels of the beautifully restored Rustic Barn at Hopewell. Enjoy lawn games, food trucks, and full bar service while you wait for the sun to set while listening to incredible live music. During the event, you can hop on trolley number 85 and enjoy a quick ride to the Antique Boutique for homemade baked goods, spirit tasting, and antique shopping. Bluegrass at Hopewell is a program of visit Wabash County and was regarded as a premier bluegrass event for the entire state of Indiana. Pack your lawn chairs or snatch up a VIP table and join us for Bluegrass at Hopewell the last Saturday in July each year.
2: What's specifically different about bluegrass at that time was different than country music?
3: Well, they always say you have to have a fiddle if you're going to play country music. You got to have a mandolin if you're going to play bluegrass. And Bill Moreau was the master of the mandolin. And they have the mandolin, the bass, the steel guitar, the fiddle, and it just all comes together. It's a different sound than country, the traditional country music, and it's must have done pretty good. It's still going today.
2: At what point did Bill become pretty popular?
3: He was on the Grand Ole Opry for probably, I think they said almost 60 years, 59 years. So he was popular. He toured with Patsy Cline. He wrote songs with Hank Williams Sr. I mean, he was popular from day one. That's how come people like Johnny Cash, one of the first songs he ever sung was Mule Skinner Blues, which was a song by Bill Monroe. and He listened to Bill Monroe on the Grand Ole Opry when he was a small child. And they all looked up to Bill Monroe.
2: Before we started recording, you had mentioned this story about um, Elvis and Bill. Can you kind of explain that story to me?
3: Elvis and Bill became good friends. That's how come you said when you drove into the building here, you seen the Graceland pillars. You seen the stars out front. Bill Monroe kind of copied Graceland when he designed and built this building. But in 1953, 54, a young man gave Bill Monroe a call wanting to sing Blue Moon of Kentucky. And Bill said, son, I just don't like people singing my songs. They'll mess them up. And this young man said, but Mr. Monroe, you're my hero. I want to be just like you. When I was two years old, I listened to you on the Grand Ole Opry. Bill was flattered. He said, son, go on and sing it. And I hope it helps you out. And he didn't. Nobody knew Elvis in 1954. So later on, Elvis started getting the checks through the mail, the royalty checks, and that's when he called up Sam Phillips and wanted to know who Elvis Presley was. But it's just a great situation because when Elvis played the Grand Ole Opry in 1956. Bill Monroe was at the Grand Ole Opry. Well, before Elvis and Bill met for the first time, people. Came up to Bill Monroe, the old Grand Ole Opry people, and said, Bill, don't let this rockabilly sing your songs. He gets up there and twists and shouts, and that's not country. And Bill's sitting back thinking, wait a minute, I'm making about six cents a record, and this man has sold over three million copies. That's $180,000 back in the 50s when Bill met Elvis. He said, uh, Elvis came out and said, Mr. Monroe, I'm sorry I sped your song up a little. And Bill said, Elvis, Elvis, don't worry about it. You can sing any song of mine you want to.
2: Why don't you tell me about Jerry Garcia? For those of you who may not know, Jerry Garcia was the founder and leader of the rock band Grateful Dead.
3: Jerry Garcia hitchhiked up here in the 1960s, wanted to be a bluegrass boy. And when he got here, here at Bean Blossom, Bill wasn't here, Bill was on tour. So Birch, Bill's brother, which took care of this place for him, said, son, you're gonna to have to come back. And Jerry told me, said, I got seven, eight bucks in my pocket. I have nowhere to go. I wanna be a bluegrass boy. So Birch said, go back and pitch you a tent and wait for Bill. So Bill came through about 30 days later. So when Bill came through, the old barn was here. They hollered up on the hill and said, hey, Mr. Monroe's on the property. So Jerry walks down, comes in this barn, and plays for Bill Monroe. Bill Monroe patted him on the back and said, son, said you need to go home practice. But Bill, Jerry had no way to get home. So when Bill went back on tour, Jerry jumped in with Bill Monroe on His tour bus and went to Bluegrass Festival. So I think Jerry Garcia was really a deadhead for Bill Monroe at the start. But you know, it, what the funny part is later on in life, Jerry Garcia's life, he hired Vester Clemens, which was a fiddle player for Bill Monroe, and he hired Peter Rowland, which played guitar for Bill Monroe. And Jerry Garcia put together one of the best Bluegrass albums ever released. It sold more records than anybody and jerry garcia made the comment he said well i couldn't be a bluegrass boy but i had enough money i could hire him so good stories though good history here
2: when did you first hear about bill
3: i'm i was born raised here in brown county so we always knew we called him the old country singer we would see him walking up the streets we'd see him here on the property And that's how I knew Bill Monroe, but we never thought of him as any star and he never acted like a star. He would sit down, talk to you, take his hat off. Just a real friendly gentleman.
2: I think that I heard when we came in here about there being bluegrass festivals here. Is that right?
3: Yes, we still have Bill Monroe. It's the oldest bluegrass festival in, in the country. It's still here. We're going on our 59th year and Bill Monroe started that. And then we have the Uncle Penn Bluegrass Festival, which that started about 45 years ago. And that's a festival of Bill Monroe's. And then we have the Americana. Now this year on the Americana, which is uh, June 1st through the 3rd, we got Sam Bush coming in, the Hen House Prowlers. We have all the big names that comes into our bluegrass in June. We'll have Larry Sparks, Ralph Stanley too. Just we'll have over 40 entertainers.
2: What happens at these festivals?
3: The people come in. There's about six bands play a day. And they play two shows a day. we have a stage bill Monroe's old stage it's set here on this fifty five acres and they come in. We have vendors, they come listening to the bands, but we also have three hundred campsites. so most of these people come in here, park their camper, and they jam. They sit around and play bluegrass music. I love going to the campsites and listen to the bluegrass music more than I do listen to it on the stage
2: that's fun. I actually think that my Uncle and Grandpa would come here a lot. Back when my Grandpa was still living, my family—they're all from Southern Kentucky and Northern Tennessee—and they were mine workers in coal mines, and they moved to Indiana for uh, to work in steel factories yeah. in Muncie and played bluegrass for all of my memory. But I remember that—that's why I know Brown County is because of them coming to this festival. But I, it didn't click with me about this festival until he mentioned it when we walked in. And I was like, oh, this is the place that my grandpa and this my uncle would come to.
3: This is the oldest running festival going in the United States. And this music park is one of the oldest going. This The Brown County Jamboree started in 1939. Now, Mr. Monroe bought this place in 1951. So it went before Bill Monroe, all the country singers came through A lady came through one day and she was about 67 years old. And I asked her because she told the story that she seen Jerry Lee here and Jerry Lee tore this piano up and in the old barn and through this, benched down and jumped up on it and she said she was a little girl about seven eight years old and it scared her so bad she started crying so that's the kind of entertainers that's been here i mean jerry lee's been here dolly parton's been here johnny cash i seen johnny and june on the backstage many country acts and people would come and travel through here
2: that's pretty cool just to think about them coming to a place like this.
3: Bean Blossom, Indiana, because yeah. even before Nasra, I mean, Bill Monroe put this place on the map, Bean Blossom, Indiana. And if you listen to Bill Monroe's old recordings when he plays on the Grand Ole Opry, the last thing he always says, I'll see you at Bean Blossom.
2: I might have missed this if, you've, if you already explained it, but why here? Why in Bean Blossom?
3: The story is that Bill used to come down when he moved up to Hammond, Indiana. He used to come down here and... They have square dances, and they have round dances. And he used to play at the round dances here at the barn, and he liked it so well. And also, Mr. Monroe was a fox hunter, and he loved to fox hunt in the hills of Kentucky. The hills of Brown County is like the hills of Kentucky, so he would bring his dogs up here and come fox hunting up here in Brown County, and that's why he loved this place so much. There's record albums in here of him with his fox horn and we have those fox horns in the showcases right now the ones he used
2: i love it there's a lot of artifacts here but i was wondering if you could tell me about some of your favorite ones and why they might be your favorite
3: i love the bill nudie suits bill nudie made suits the rhinestone suits he made them for elvis he made them and we have seven of those nudie suits in here but probably my, my favorite thing there's an old case back here that bill monroe carried his mandolin in and this case i mean if if it be in your garage you would have thrown it in the trash but bill monroe that's the mandolin that he kept his case in he was behind the barn one evening and he ran over it with his car now it didn't hurt the mandolin but it hurt the case and bill monroe took duct tape and duct taped it up and still carried his mandolin they came to him said mr Bill, Bill, you can't carry that case. It's cracked. It's broke. The mandolin's worth a million dollars, and you're carrying it in a broken case. So Bill put it in the museum, and we still have that here in that museum, and that's that's probably one of my favorite things in here. And we have the first Grammy that was ever given out to Bluegrass. That was gave to Bill Monroe, and we have it here, and just so much stuff to see. The original hee-haw sign, Archie Campbell made four hee-haw signs. We have it on the back wall, and they gave Bill one of those signs. And I think there's only two left that we know about. So just a lot of interesting stuff here.
2: And you have some of the fence from that, too?
3: We have some of the fence from the hee-haw show. Just, it's just, and people, they always ask me when I'm here, they'll say, how'd you get Dolly Parton's dress? I didn't get her dress. She loved Bill Monroe so much. I've heard interviews with her with Bill Monroe that she gave that dress to Bill Monroe to put in his exhibit. And Dollywood's even called asking for that dress back because you don't see many dresses with Dolly. Now, she wore that dress with the Porter Wagner show. It's just a lot of interesting stuff in here.
2: And Dolly and Bill share something in history. I was wondering if you could explain that.
3: Bill Monroe, before Dolly was put in the Rock and Row Hall of Fame, Bill Monroe was the only person in the Writers Hall of Fame, the Rock and Row Hall of Fame, the Country Hall of Fame, and the Bluegrass Hall of Fame. And now that Dolly was inducted into the Rock and Row Hall of Fame, they share that honor together.
2: Are you the person who runs the whole show now?
3: Yes, yes. How long have you been doing this? Since 2018.
2: Got it. And for people who would like to come here, is the best way to, to get here from Nashville coming north?
3: It's really in between Columbus, Indiana, Indianapolis, and Bloomington. It's right, we're right in between. So if you're coming from Bloomington, you can come down 65. Even if you're coming from the southern part, you come down 65 and get right off at the Nashville exit, and you can come right into Nashville.
2: And the festivals that you mentioned earlier, are those annually?
3: Yes, every year. At yeah.
2: what point in the year?
3: Uh, our first one's June the 1st through the 3rd, and that, that's the Americana, and that is the one where Sam Bush will be here. And then our second festival is June Fest, which that's around June 14th through the 18th this year. And then we have the Blues our hippie heels on jerry garcia's birthday so that's at the end of july and then we have the blues at the end of september and then we have the uncle Pen in august
2: is there anything else about the museum or the artifacts that you feel like people need to know about before they come here
3: not really The thing is we have probably oh as you can see there's probably 2000 pictures here of anybody that's had anything to do with country. There's even Buddy Holly w- was in Texas tech- from Texas the Texas Swing. One of the, his biggest person he looked up to was Bill Monroe. So there's just so much stuff here to see and to, to look at that it's just it takes you back. When you walk in here you feel like you're back at your grandma and grandpa's house watching Hee Haw on the Saturday night.
2: And I, it's also impressive that there is no dust on any of the suits
3: like that we try to keep them clean we have a guy in in Bloomington that is a historian and he comes up Ken and he'll come up and clean them and number stuff he's just a really good historian and he loves this place
2: how big is this building in your property here
3: we're 55 acres and this building here is about the museum alone is about 3000 square foot and we can roll these away we have them on wheels so we roll them away so we can do shows here we can set up we had a wedding in here so we rent we can rent this building out to different for different engagements
2: i asked rex for his all time favorite bill story
3: now bill monroe when he signed his name he signed it with a period that was it. He was it. He was. On the mandolin, there was nobody that could even come close. You see Ricky Skaggs play the mandolin, and these guys, they could not even come close to what Bill Monroe does. But there was a young man out here, and they had a, they call it sundown jam. Bill Monroe would come out to the front gate, and everybody, there'd be a 100 guitar players, a 100 fiddlers, a 100 mandolin players to get to play with Bill Monroe. This young man comes up to Bill Monroe and said, uh, Mr. Monroe, would you listen to me play my mandolin? And Bill said, yeah, son, go go on and get it. And so this young man starts playing his mandolin. I mean, he plays it good, you know, and Bill looks at him and says, let me see that mandolin, son. So Bill takes his mandolin and Bill plays it. And when Bill plays it, I mean, everybody, you, you drop. The, both these guys have heard Bill Monroe play the mandolin everybody and bill looks at the mandolin hands back he said well son it's not the mandolin you know i just love you know he was so honest and it's it's not the mandolin it's the guy playing it you know the mandolin's in good shape so that that's a great bill monroe story or i think it is yeah that's hilarious you know but bill monroe was a a gentleman if he was around a lady take his hat off When when I worked for him here, him and Birch, and we was kids, they would come get us and we'd weed whack. Not with a weed eater, but with a weed whacker. And Bill never cussed around us kids, never told nasty stories. And you hear different things about Mr. Monroe, but all I have is respect for him. And he was really a country gentleman.
2: I asked how he first became aware of Bill Monroe, having grown up in the area.
3: We just all, I grew up in Bean Blossom, and we would come over here and play in the creeks and the ponds. And, you know, we just knew Bill Monroe. And when I worked for him when, when I was young, he was just a upright guy. We, but we never knew he was anybody. We just called him the old country gentleman, the old country guy, you know. It wasn't like he was Bill Monroe.
2: I asked Rex how he'd come to own Bill's property and personal collections.
3: I worked here for Bill Monroe, like I said, when I was sixteen, seventeen. We've been here. I've been in Bean Blossom. I mean, you've seen Bean Blossom. If you look, you know, you're gone. Is there's not even I think is there a stop? there's not even a stoplight, not even a stop sign in Bean Blossom. So it's a small town. So when I found this place coming up for sale, I love building stuff and re-fixing stuff up. And we gutted this museum and redid it. And that when I had the opportunity to purchase it, that's how I became involved in it.
2: When you purchased it, was it closed before then?
3: No, it was open. But Bill Monroe, when he built this in 1990, it had seven little rooms that had shag carpet in it. it you know, it was something you built in the 90s. And when we got it, the carpet was moldy and stuff. And they, Bill, built all these uniforms, all these mannequins all these suits he had them behind plexiglass without humidifiers so some of them was rotten and we talked to a museum curator out of Bloomington IU and he said get those suits out and get them aired out let natural air and keep constant heat and coolness in here so that's what we did we gutted it all we put everything up on the wall so to preserve it and that's what I feel like I am I'm not a big musician, never played much, but I feel like it's uh it's an honor for me to keep up this museum for future and hopefully somebody else will come along and take over cuz as you see we have everything in here little Jimmy Dickens belt. We have the highwayman stuff. There's just so much stuff in here that needs kept up and taken care of.
2: And it's unique history for this area, too, for all these people to have had some connection.
3: Yes, there's people that will come here from Australia, Japan, all over the country. You would not believe the people that's been here just to walk on this ground that Bill Monroe walked on and played in.
2: You want to revisit your events?
3: Bluegrass, June 14th through the 17th, Wednesday, Friday, Thursday, and Saturday. Now, Wednesday, we'll have the bean dinner and preaching, which that's what Bill Monroe did every time. He had his bean dinner and had his preaching, and that's the bluegrass, June 14th through the 17th. And then Uncle Penn is Friday, September 22nd, and that's a Friday and a Saturday. So both those are the two bluegrass. Then we have the Americana, which is the first through the third. Now, the Americana is more of a, a hippie bluegrass. Sam Bush is kind of that type of player. You know, he's kind of the hippie style. And we have stickers in here where Bill Monroe said, that ain't no part of nothing. And he said that about Sam Bush, they said, that he ain't no part of nothing. It wasn't bluegrass. The bluegrass, the traditional that Mr. Monroe played. But Sam Bush is one of the best entertainers going right now in bluegrass. And I just welcome everybody to come down. We do not charge to go through the museum. Bill Monroe wanted this stuff that he collected to be seen, and that's what we feel. If you want to come down, come on down through. I even get his old Martin guitar down once in a while and let some of the entertainers play it. And they love playing a guitar that, you know, was by Bill Monroe's.
2: You can find Bill Monroe's Music Park and Campground at BillMonroeMusicPark.com. You can also reach out by email to info at billmonroemusicpark.com. The website and email will also be in the episode show notes. As always, thanks for listening.